Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Hi, this is Mark Tressman, former head coach and adjunct professor at the University of Miami School of Law. And you're listening to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. Welcome to the official Football Learning Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ken Crippen, and I'm the founder and lead instructor at the Football Learning Academy, an online school teaching pro football history. To learn more about the Football Learning Academy, go to our website at www.football-learning-academy.com. Not only will you find links to our social media channels and a listing of all of our podcast episodes, but you'll also find other fascinating interviews and classes. And an important note, portion of all proceeds generated at the Football Learning Academy go to help retired players in need. That website again is www.football-learning-academy.com. If you like what you hear with this or any of our episodes, give us a five-star rating and review on the podcast platform. It helps us grow our podcast so we can continue to bring you quality content. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor for our show, email us at admin at football-learning-academy.com to talk about the various options available to you. Now on to our episode. Today's special guest is Amy Trask, former CEO of the Los Angeles and Oakland Raiders. She can now be seen on that other pregame show on CBS Sports, as well as her podcast, What the Football, with co-host Susie Schuster. This is her second visit to the Football Learning Academy. To hear her interview about her career with the Raiders, go to our website at www.football-learning-academy.com. Today, we focus on leadership and how she applied leadership lessons to her time with the Raiders. For the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week, we discuss the career of Sandra Douglas Morgan, the current president of the Las Vegas Raiders. Now let's get to our interview with Amy Trask. She is currently a football analyst for CBS Sports Network and a podcaster extraordinaire. I'd like to welcome the Princess of Darkness herself, Amy Trask, to the official Football Learning Academy podcast. Welcome, Amy, and hi. Well, boy, thank you for having me. Thank you for using my nickname, which I shall forever cherish, because really, it's the best nickname in my view. And thank you for saying hi. 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 So this is your second time here, and you're only one of three people who have been repeat guests at the FLA. And I joked with Ben Troop when he was here after his third appearance that we should get a punch card for all the appearances. <laughs> so we should do the same for you. So after a certain number of appearances, you get free ice cream with all the sprinkles that you want. How's that sound? I, I don't know that life could get any better than free ice cream with all the sprinkles I want. And it really and truly is both an honor and a pleasure to join you on this uh, podcast and it's a whole lot of fun as well. All right. Well, we love having you here. So I know that you said you would never do television. And obviously, we can see you every week as an analyst on that other pregame show on CBS Sports Network. And then you said you would never do a podcast. So tell me about your podcast, What the Football. Well, let me add first that you, you know, you're absolutely right. I said, no, 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 no. I'm never, ever, ever going to be on television. 
you know, I'm on television. When I joined CBS Sports, um, I was asked if I wanted to join social media. And I said, no, 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 no. I am never, ever going to join social media. I joined what at the time was known as Twitter. And pretty soon thereafter decided it was probably invented for me. I loved it so much. And then I swore I'd never, ever, ever do a podcast, but I am now thrilled to be doing a podcast with Susie Schuster. It's called What the Football with Susie Schuster and Amy Trask. And I'm learning. Um, It took me quite a few weeks uh, once we started the podcast this football season to learn that a podcast is simply a relaxed conversation. And I had to sit myself down and say, no, AIM, you're not making a presentation for a half a billion dollar line of credit with a bank. You're not making an argument in court. You're just having a conversation. So I'm learning. And I guess that's the fun thing about all of this. Swearing I'd never go on TV and I'm learning. Swearing I'd never join social media and I'm having fun with it. Swearing I'd never do a podcast and I'm learning and I'm having fun with all of this. I'm glad you're having a great time with it. I mean, I definitely enjoy your episodes. Uh, I especially like the, uh, the most recent one you did with Kevin Harlan, but uh, I suggest everybody goes out there and, and listens to those episodes. So what is it that, you know, you really enjoy about this? I mean, you said, you know, you love having just relaxed conversations with people, but what is it that you're learning from these guests that you're having on your show? Well, I'm learning both from the guests and I'm learning from Susie because she is a very skilled, longtime, accomplished uh, broadcaster, journalist, all of that. Um, And from our guests, I love learning from people. And we are having phenomenal guests on, and they're giving us tremendous, tremendous insight into their careers. I've loved the fact that we've had some terrific, terrific former Raiders on. Um, Our first podcast was with Charles Woodson, and it touched my heart that he joined us for the very, very first podcast. And of course, we've had Howie Long on and, and Warren Sapp and I got to tell people the story about Warren. You know, there are people who only look at Warren as the very rough and tumble on the field Warren. And um, if I may, I'll share with you very quickly the story I shared on the podcast about Warren and what the heck, you can always edit it out. Um, Shortly after he joined us, I asked him, would he spend a bit of time after practice uh, sitting for some pictures with an animal rescue group? Tony LaRussa had his animal rescue foundation and They wanted to take some pictures for their annual calendar. And Warren said, sure. So here comes Warren, you know, rough, tumble Warren Sapp, who on the field would destroy offenses. Um, And he sat there, took off his pads, took off his helmet. He was in his jersey. And as we all know, they're thin and they have little holes in them. And they put a ton of little kittens all over Warren. And these kittens climbed underneath his jersey, down his down the back of his jersey, up the sleeves of his jersey with those itty bitty bitty sharp kitten claws. And he did not flinch. And I shall forever love him for helping save animals sitting there so patiently while those kittens destroyed him. I, mean, I can just picture that, just them climbing all over him. And you know, you and I are both big proponents of animal rescue and you know, when you were last here at the FLA, you know, instead of having our bright smiling faces on the interview, we had pictures of dogs and cats that, uh, that were either up for adoption or had just recently been adopted. So. And I love, love, love you for doing that. I still love you for doing that. I thank you for doing that. 
Um, I'm an extraordinarily loud proponent of adopt, don't shop. I wish we could rescue them all. And, and I try to do as much as I can. And I appreciate that you did that. Well, I, I really appreciate that you uh, allowed me to be able to do that too. So that, uh, and I by the way, by the way, I mean, how much more fun to look at pictures of adoptable dogs and cats than to see me on the screen. So I think it was brilliant of you. Well, I mean, I always say that, you know, I've got a face for radio and a voice for print. So uh, I'd, I'd rather see those cute, cuddly animals than me. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it was definitely enjoyable doing that episode and uh, being able to hopefully, you know, get some cats and dogs adopted out there. Agreed. All right. So similar to the Mark Tressman interview that we did several episodes back, I wanted to take this opportunity to talk about leadership and business and how that related to your job at the Raiders. So let's start with change management. Tell me about the culture at the Raiders organization when you were first put in charge of the business side and what you did to improve the culture within the front office. Well, I grew into the position um, I ultimately had at the time, you know, I had the position for a while before I resigned, but I grew into that position. I started with the team as an intern when I completed my internship and my internship was roughly a year and a half to two years. I completed my internship and there were no um, full-time jobs available, but there was a full-time job which became available about a year after I finished my internship and that's when I joined full-time. And the reason I go back to starting as an intern and then beginning as an entry-level employee is I was willing to do anything. I did anything I could. Um, I was part of a team. And it's always um, bemused me that people will look at a team on the field, on the court, on the pitch, on the diamond, whatever sport, and they'll harumph if players aren't acting as, quote, teammates. The football example would be criticizing the guard for not sliding over and helping the tackle if the tackle was having trouble blocking his man. Uh, another one would be a safety not sliding over to help a corner who is struggling in man-to-man -man coverage. And yet, while criticizing players who don't help out on the field, they weren't holding themselves to the same standard. You know, there were umpteen times people would come into my office and say, you know, I finished everything I had to do today. I'm going to take off early and go enjoy the afternoon. And I would look at the person and say, okay, um, glad you finished everything. Have you walked through the office and seen who else may be struggling to get things done? You know, maybe the ticket office is buried in stuffing envelopes for will call. Or maybe the community relations department was buried stuffing bags for giveaways at a community event. In other words, if you expect, and you should, the guard to slide over and help the tackle if the tackle needs help, if you're in one department of a business, why aren't you sliding over to help your colleagues in other departments who may need your help? And that's the way I approached my career. I would walk into the, again, you know, from the time I started until the time I left. And when I left, I was the CEO. If the ticket office was buried in incoming phone calls, I'd go down and I'd answer the phone. I wouldn't identify myself as, hi, this is Amy Trask. I'd simply answer the phone. Thank you for calling ticket office or how can I help you? Fan line. Um, I would stuff envelopes. I would do anything I could to help my teammates. Because if you expect the players to be teammates and you yourself are not a teammate, I find that troubling. So that's one of the ways I approached my business. Um, 
or doing business. The other two things I will share with you, and then I'll stop yakking so much. Um, my mom shared with me when I was a very, very young girl, the advice I consider to this day to be the advice, best advice I've ever received in my whole life, which is to thine own self be true. And as moms can do, she repeated that over and over and over throughout my life um, up until the time I lost her. And as kids can do, particularly when they're teenagers, whenever she repeated it, I would roll my eyes until I got to a certain age and realized it's the best advice I ever received. And by the way, as a little footnote to that, it wasn't until I was in college that I learned that my mom didn't invent that, that she was quoting <laughs> Shakespeare. Um, so I didn't read the Shakespeare stuff I was assigned in high school. Um, but that's the best advice I've ever received. And the reason I note that is the only thing, the only business decisions I've regretted, the only decisions in my life I've regretted were when I wasn't true to myself, when I did something that wasn't to thine own self be true. The last piece of, I don't know whether you'd call it advice or the last, I'll call it thing that I will share is it's okay to make a mistake. It really is. Now, look, there's certain industries, there's certain jobs, there's certain things in life where you can't make a mistake. If you are flying a fighter jet and you are upside down and you are going 500 miles an hour and the pilot screams, oh no, okay, that could be a problem. If you're um, a heart surgeon and you're in the middle of open heart surgery on a patient and you scream, oh no, yeah, I get it. That could be a problem. But in business in general, unless your life is on the line or someone else's life is on the line, it's absolutely fine to make a mistake. And what I found was very um, effective, and again, to thine own self be true, this is how I did it. When I made a mistake, I said to, I gathered the staff together and I said, all right, I made a mistake. I need you guys to help me fix it. And there were three things about that. One, by admitting when I made a mistake, it encouraged other people to do the same. And what people learned was when Amy makes a mistake, she's going to come to us and say, help me fix this. And when I make a mistake, I can go to Amy and tell her I made a mistake. Help me fix this. Because again, that's what colleagues do. That's what teammates do. So anytime I made a mistake, I would gather appropriate staff. And by appropriate, I mean people in the departments that could really help me. And I'd say, I made a mistake. I need you guys to help me fix this. And I always had ice cream in the room when I did that, a little ice cream sundae bar, multiple flavors of ice cream, toppings, whipped cream, sprinkles. And they knew the bigger the ice cream sundae bar, the bigger the mistake. And you know what? We always figured out ways to fix them. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff in there to, to pull apart. I mean, being able to just get a team together and say, yes, we're in this together. And if somebody makes a mistake, it doesn't matter that we're going to be able to fix it together as a team. I mean, that not only builds up trust, but it builds up a, a strong chemistry within the team itself because they know that they can count on their teammates to be able to help out, whether it's they're struggling to make a decision, they're struggling to solve a problem, or they need to fix something that the, they made a mistake on. 
So you're absolutely, absolutely right. And, you know, I will add that there are people who would think, well, Al Davis would never tolerate people who made a mistake. He would never understand the it's okay to make a mistake philosophy. And that is absolutely untrue. I made a whopper of a mistake fairly early in my career. I mean, it was a whopper, a whopper in the sense that it cost the team a significant, significant sum of money. I made an error in judgment as to how to handle a situation and it cost us money. And we ended up doing a different deal for less money. And and I just felt horribly. And I walked into Al's office and I said, I made a mistake. I made an error in judgment and I tried to explain it to him and he didn't say a word. I walked out a couple days later, day later, walked back in. I said, look, I made a really big mistake. And it cost us a lot of money. And I want to explain it to you. And he didn't look up from what he was doing. And he didn't say a word. And I walked out. And I did that either once or twice more. But on the final time, I think it was the third time, I went in and I said, oh, each of the first, the second time I said, and, you know, you can fire me. You should fire me. Well, the third time I went in, I said, look, I keep trying to tell you about this mistake I made. And to tell you, you can fire me or you should fire me. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm just going to fire myself. And he finally looked up at me and said, wait, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? You can do whatever you want. Okay. So he finally, I don't want to get you in trouble with anyone. So he finally looked up at me for the first time when I came in with this, I made a mistake. I cost us a lot of money. You can fire me. So on the third time I said, you know what? I'll just fire myself. And he looked up and he said, no one's firing you. I'm not going to swear. You made a mistake. It's over. You made a mistake. And then as I was walking out, he kind of laughed and said, you'll make more. And he was right. And my point is, and I didn't recap this story very well, because I was trying very hard not to swear in case little kids are listening at some point. Um, I made the mistake. I told him to fire me. I told him I'd fire myself. And his response was, you made a mistake. And then, of course, laughingly, he noted that I would make more. And I did it's okay to make a mistake in business. And he understood that as well. And we're all human. We're going to make mistakes. That's part of being human. So, you know, to have so much pressure on somebody saying that you can never make a mistake, all that's going to do is force people to hide things from their teammates, hide things from the company. You don't want that. You want people to say, look, I screwed up. I admit it. Yeah. So let's find a way that we can fix it. Help me fix it. And you know what? If you are a leader, if you are in a leadership role in a business, by acknowledging your mistake to your colleagues, to the staff, that encourages them to acknowledge their mistakes as well. The worst thing you can do is try to hide a mistake because then it just becomes worse. If you make a mistake, own it and work to fix it. It gets back to that trust issue. If they're hiding it, then you're going to be thinking, well, what else are they hiding from me? Interesting. Someone once told me, that the only people who don't make mistakes are people who are not trying to be creative and not trying new things and not trying to advance things, that they're just too worried to risk making a mistake. And I thought that was very wise. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely agree with that, that you're either not trying or you're hiding something. Or you're too scared. You're, you're, you're more worried about making a mistake than you are about accomplishing something. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have somebody who wants to accomplish something and make some mistakes along the way. Agreed. 
Now there was a negative perception of going to Raiders games and you wanted to definitely change that culture. You wanted to make it family friendly that people can go enjoy the games. You can still be loud and root for your team, but it shouldn't be a culture where you're afraid to take your kids to the game. So how did you go about changing that culture at the games themselves? I was very bothered by the reputation, um, by the perception that was associated with our games. Look, all 32 teams have magnificent, magnificent fans. And for each of the 32 teams, there are a handful of fans that don't behave appropriately at games. We've seen it this season. We've seen some tragic issues of that nature this season. It's the case with every team that there's a handful of fans that don't act appropriately. And I knew that was the case at Raider Games, that it was a handful of fans who were generating this perception, this reputation. And I made it a mission to change it. And my biggest supporters, the people that helped me the most were Raider fans. And my message was, you know what? Come be jeweled, be dazzled, be, you know, costumed, everything you want to wear, look scary, look frightening, look however you wish to look, but behave in a manner that's appropriate. And the fans understood. And it was the Raider fans who were my biggest, biggest supporters and advocates and who helped me on this more than anyone else. And the message that we conveyed to everyone is it's okay to look fierce. It's okay to look frightening. It's not okay to behave that way, whether with respect to visiting team fans or otherwise. You need to recognize that you are in a facility in which people want to bring their children. And by the way, if you're a Raider fan, I said, you should encourage Raider fans to bring their children because that's the next generation of fans and visiting teams. You know what? You can boo their fans. You don't need to act in a manner that is that not only you don't need to, but you should not act in a manner that is threatening or frightening or inappropriate around kids. And we turned that reputation around and it is something I will cherish forever. And I will forever cherish and thank the fans who helped me do that. And, you know, those types of philosophies on changing cultures is the same thing that you would do in any corporation. If you've got a toxic culture, you want to be able to clean that up. So, you know, I think those same principles apply in business. You're absolutely right. And my analogy for business would be if you do have a problematic environment in your business, there will be employees you can find there that want to be your ally and help you change that environment and reach out to them and let them know, I need your help. I need you to help me change this environment. And they'll embrace the opportunity to do so just as our fans embrace that opportunity. And it gets back to what we were talking about before with trust. If you can have trust among your teammates, then they will stand up to be able to help you know, eradicate that toxic culture that's there. Yep. Now, one thing that we had talked about uh, in our previous interview is you know, the time to raise concerns about any new implementation or idea is before the decision itself is made. But then once the decision is made, it's up to people to implement that decision, regardless of whether they agreed with it or not. So talk to me about why, one, that's important and how you maybe implemented something like that with the Raiders. Well, um, I believe disagreement is important. Disagreement can be healthy if disagreement 
is handled appropriately. I think disagreement is important in so many areas of life. Again, as long as one is disagreeing agreeably and disagreeing for a productive reason, not simply disagreeing to be ornery or disagree to disagree, but to put this in a business perspective, a business in which everyone simply says, yes, 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 when they don't necessarily agree with something is not a healthy business. It is important to share disagreement. Look, there's a perception about Al Davis that he wouldn't harbor disagreement. He wouldn't tolerate disagreement. He wouldn't tolerate anyone who disagreed with him. If that were the case, I would have been fired two, two and a half weeks into my job. I won't bog down with the story of that right now, but I will simply tell you I disagreed with him vehemently early in my career, two, two and a half weeks after I was hired. And I stayed there almost 30 years. And over the course of my career, I disagreed with Al more than I agreed with him. But I also understood he was the controlling owner of that business. And whether I, you know, if I couldn't convince him that something he wanted to do or something he was refusing to do or a decision he was making was wrong, ultimately, the decision was his. Because when you are the controlling owner of a business, ultimate authority rests with you. So I would do my best to convince, you know, to, to try to change his mind if I disagreed with him. But I also understood that once he made that decision, my responsibility and the responsibility of everyone in the organization was to implement it in the best manner we could to make the best out of a decision with which I might disagree. And one thing for which I had no tolerance was people who would run around and, you know, whisper that's not my decision. I don't like the decision. No, 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 no. When a decision is made, it becomes the decision of the business and everyone's job is to make the best of that decision. Yeah. I mean, you don't want people undermining any efforts that are going on, you know, because they want to be petty. They didn't agree with it, whatever. I mean, like you said, as a business, you make a decision and you have to implement that decision. And you know that not everyone's going to be on board with that decision, but you know, you're being paid to do a job. And so you really need to, to make the best of it. And beyond being paid, and you're of course, absolutely right. That's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. You know what? You want to make all the decisions all by yourself, go buy a business. And, and I'm saying that sort of sarcastically, because of course, none of us are running out to buy a football team unless we find a lot of change in our couch cushions. But, you know, my point is, if you're not the controlling owner of the business, you don't have ultimate authority. Um, you also don't have ultimate responsibility in some regards. And, you know, in the football sense, you know, just like in any business, really, the owner of a business or the controlling owner of a business can delegate authority. But because that delegation can always be revoked, it proves the point that ultimate authority rests with the owner. Absolutely. Al Davis didn't really like the business side of things as much as, you know, he wanted to be on the football side of things. So what are some of the stuff that you had to clean up on the business side when you took over? Um, first and foremost, I put in a system of checks and balances and internal controls, because when I started becoming involved in the business operations and seeing what was going on internally with, again, I'll say it, there was just a lack of internal controls, a lack of checks and balances. And I think that's very problematic for any business. So the first thing I did was put in checks and balances, internal controls. And there were a few people who were um, 
let me say this diplomatically, they were enjoying the fact that there were no internal controls or checks and balances, and it did not sit well with them that I changed that environment. Um, and then the business fell upon me, um, you know, securing um, credit facilities, audits, financial statements, all of the league business interactions, um, anything that you can think of that you would sort of typically think of as, oh, that's a business person's responsibility. And I, I remember one um, moment that was just so, so, so touching. We were, um, we had a big problem and it was of existential nature and it was not stadium related or team location um, where the team would play, but it was an existential problem that related to the business of the team. And I was working on it for months and months and months, and I was getting just more and more and more stressed about it. And at one point I said to Al, I don't know how you sleep at night. And his response, and I'm going to maybe choke up and tear up again, um, as I do each time I repeat it. I said to him, I don't know how you sleep at night. And in a very quiet voice, he said, I can sleep at night because I know you don't. And his point was, he knew I would handle it. He knew I was handling it. And that gave him the confidence it gave him. So just a, an extraordinarily special moment. And it had to do with financial issues. But, you know, anything that you can think of that's businessy. But the first thing I did was put in internal controls and checks and balances. And as I said, there were some people who um, were not happy about that. And you mentioned in our previous interview that you love audits. You love oh, being audited. Oh, I do, audited I do, I do. Because it, it's those checks and balances. You have an independent review of what you're doing. An audit is like an annual physical. You know, there are so many people who say you got to go to the doctor every year just to have a checkup, who when you say, oh, we're having our audit, oh, I don't want... I love audits. I love, love, love audits. And it used to drive people nuts that I loved audits as much as I did. We were audited. You know, we had um, our own auditors that audited us every year for purposes of tax and financial statements. We also had independent, you know, that was an independent audit. We had other third party independent audits. The league had the right to audit every team, which they didn't do every year, but did periodically. The NFL Players Association had the right to audit every team, which they didn't do annually, but they did periodically. So there were some years where we had three or four audits and I could not have been happier. And it annoyed the crap out of people that I was as happy as I was. Go ahead, oh. audit us, audit us, please. If you find a mistake, you're helping us. Because of course we were doing nothing illicit. We were doing nothing. There was no malfeasance, but if a mistake was made, find our mistake. It's a good thing. It's a checkup. Yeah, that's how you correct those mistakes is by having somebody, you know, you can't see the forest through the trees, you know, that old cliche, but it's true that, you know, you're focused so much on your business and everything that's going on, you may not see everything that's there. So having somebody who's not connected to the business go through and check to make sure that everything is correct, uh, how a could fresh, you not yeah, want that? A fresh set of eyes someone who might, you know, when you look at something all the time, it doesn't always jump out at you. A fresh set of eyes might see something you've been missing. Anyway, right. there's a million reasons I love audits. But you know that song um, from the musical Oklahoma, the song, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning? Mm -hmm. On the first day of every audit, I would come in the office singing, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning, just to annoy people because <laughs> they were so annoyed that I loved audits as much as I did. <laughs> Let's move on to the uh, the interview process. So you're hiring somebody 
for the, let's just say you're hiring somebody for the Raiders in a leadership position. What are the qualities that you're looking for in that interview from that person to know that they're going to not only be effective at their job, but also that they're going to fit within the team chemistry? A um, couple things. One, no one particular feature or one particular characteristic or one particular quality. I think it's terrific to have people that are very, very, very different um, in many regards, different approaches, different different viewpoints. So no one particular answer to that. Um, I, I will tell you one thing. I, I guess I'll answer it in the negative and say one thing that to me was an extraordinary turnoff in an interview. And doomed the interview from that point on is someone who would sit and tell me all the reasons the job was good for him or for her without even touching upon why he or she was good for the job or good for the organization. So I would sit in interviews and people would say, you know, this would be really good for me. It would help me advance. It would help me with my resume. It would help me build a background. Okay. You just spent umpteen minutes saying me, 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 me. I haven't heard you say one word about why you're good for us. That was a flag. Another flag was someone who was interviewing for job A, but within two minutes of starting the interview was looking for job Z. So you're here interviewing for an entry-level position in the finance department, but you just spent 10 minutes asking me how you could ultimately rise to be the general manager. Now, look, I love hard work. And I love people who want to achieve and strive and have big goals. But if you're interviewing for position A, I didn't like if you were spending your entire time focusing on, all right, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But how do I get to the next position? You know how you get to your next position? You earn it. You know how you earn it? You show me how good you are. And, you know, the other thing that, and I'm going to sound like an oldie here and, and, a lot of people today would tell me, oh, aim, that's the way oldie people do it. So if that's so, well, then here's to us oldies. Hard work matters. Hard work really, really matters. And I was impressed by people who shared that they understood the importance of hard work. And I'll be an oldie right along with you. <laughs> I mean, I definitely believe that uh, hard work matters. I've done it throughout my career. And we, it's just one of those things where if you're working hard and other teammates are working hard and you see somebody who's not putting in the effort or just putting in the minimal amount of effort, you kind of resent that. And well, it goes back to what I mentioned. Or I'm sorry. I, I'm so sorry. I just interrupted you. I didn't think I, I apologize. Oh, uh, no, no worries at all. I was just saying that, you know, it's, it's tough to build up trust among a team if you resent the fact that somebody's just trying to do the minimal to get by uh, in order to collect their paycheck. Well, and it goes back to the point I made earlier. If you've finished your responsibilities for the day and you're taking off, you know, an early, you know, an early day and you're walking out the building and you see, you know, the ticket office is buried, the social media office is buried, the community affairs department is buried, um, you know, the PR department is buried and there's something you can do to help them with their load, well, then you should be doing it. Just because you can walk out earlier than you might otherwise, if someone else is going to be there till nine or 10 or 11 o'clock finishing his or her job, why the heck aren't you helping? It goes back to being a teammate. Yeah. Especially if you want them to help you out when you're swamped with something. Yep. All right. Getting back to something that you had mentioned earlier and why is it important for a leader to have actual hands-on experience in multiple areas of a company 
before becoming a leader of either that team or that company? I guess I'll answer it in reverse, which is if you want to understand the way the business is run and you want to help run it as best you can, you need to know as much about the business as you can. Now, look, I didn't have any responsibility for drafting players, but I sure listened to all the discussions involving the drafting. I sure stuck my nose into things even when Al didn't want it. I had no responsibility for coaching, although I did regularly say to Al, you know, if I was defensive coordinator, to which he'd respond, you're not. Um, but my, my point is, even areas in which you don't have responsibility, learn about them. It's a business. It's it, Oh, it shouldn't be compartmentalized. It shouldn't be siloed. If your job is in the finance department, that doesn't mean you shouldn't know what's going on in the ticket department. Or if your job is in community affairs, community relations, you need to know what's going on in social media. Learn about every department and go offer to help in every department. Now, notwithstanding that I offered to help as defensive coordinator and told I wasn't, there are certainly many departments in which I did get to help as I grew within the organization. Uh, I'm a firm believer that leaders are learners. So why is it important for leaders to never stop learning? And how did you apply that to your career at the Raiders? I agree with you entirely. I don't think I could state it any better than you did. You got to keep learning. Businesses evolve. The world evolves. Um, if you're not continuing to learn, what are you doing? I, I just couldn't state that any better than you. If you're not continuing to learn, you're not helping your business grow. That's definitely true because there's always new information out there. There may be new techniques, there may be new trends, new technologies, whatever. There's always going to be something out there that can help you and you need to always learn. And even if it's something you may not agree with, you still learn it anyway, because you need to understand it. You may change your opinion. Maybe it won't change your opinion, but at least you understand what it is about that particular technique or topic or whatever that is something that you don't disagree, uh, something that you disagree with. Yep, agreed. What's the most important leadership lesson that you learned while you were with the Raiders? Well, it's what my mom told me, to thine own self be true. And although I didn't learn that when I was with the Raiders, I learned that when I didn't follow that advice, those would be the times I would, those were the decisions I regretted. Be true to yourself when you're leading. You know, to thine own self be true applies to leadership as well. Um, don't pretend you're something or someone you're not. Be yourself. That's the most effective leadership. Authenticity is incredibly important, especially if you want to lead a team. If people don't believe your your authentic self, then how can you expect to lead them? They're going to think, you know, you're just trying to sell them something instead of truly believing what you're trying to push forward. And if you're going to make a mistake, at least you're making a mistake in which you believe. In other words, if you're being true to yourself and you make a mistake, well, okay, you did what you thought was right. It didn't work. You're going to fix the mistake. But I'd much rather be making a mistake in which I believed than one in which I did not. One thing that I also think is important with leadership is mentorship. Not only are you mentoring other people, but you should still have a mentor for yourself. Now, obviously, Al Davis was a mentor for you, but did you have many other mentors while you were with the Raiders? I have a different view on what many refer to as mentorship, what you just referred to as mentorship. 
I never had one particular mentor. I don't believe that's the right approach. I really do believe just wholeheartedly and passionately in the concept of it takes a village. Now, when I say I don't believe in mentorship, I'm simply talking about one-to-one. You have one mentor, one person you identify. Learn from everyone. Pick as much up as you possibly can from every smart and good person with whom you interact, whether it's in your business life or your personal life or any sort of aspect of your life. So I don't believe in one-on-one mentorship. I believe you learn from everyone in your village and you try to help everyone in your village. Yeah, that's a great point that you need to, to make sure you're always absorbing from everyone around you, regardless of whether they report to you, you report to them. They're in a completely different department. Doesn't matter. I mean, you want to be able to absorb whatever you can from anyone you interact with. Absorb everything you can, as you just said, and encourage everyone, no matter the role, to contribute. You never know where the next best idea is going to come from. I once got a phenomenal idea from social for social media from our groundskeeper. The person who staffed our front desk in the reception area often had great contributions for our customer service lines. You just don't know from whom the next great idea is going to come. And you want to build a business in which absolutely everyone feels encouraged to share ideas, no matter his or her role. Why wouldn't you take a good idea from anywhere it came, from anyone from whom it came? Why wouldn't you want a terrific idea, irrespective of who shared that idea? That is an incredible point. So yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. When I, when I would hold full staff meetings, full, full staff meetings, not just departmental meetings, I had everyone there. We shut down the phones for a little bit or traded people on and off on the phones so the receptionist could join us. We had everybody there because I wanted everyone to be aware of that which we were working on so they could contribute any ideas they had. That's definitely the way to do it because like you said, you never know where that next best idea is coming from. So they need to participate in the process in order to make sure that they have the opportunity to give their opinions. And it could be something that, you know, is revolutionary for your particular business. One final question for you, in your opinion, what's the difference between a leader and a manager? Well, that's interesting. That's a fascinating question. I don't know how to best state that which I'm thinking Because there is an answer, and I feel it, but I don't know how to share it. I mean, I could give you my opinion. Yeah, do that. Do that. A leader is people-oriented, and a manager is task-oriented. Interesting. I like that a lot. A manager is focused. Focused on getting the work done. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. And I guess, look, this is not the appropriate way to, to, to explain this. Because it's, it's a circular explanation, but it's my view. Leaders lead. Leaders lead others. And I believe that the best leaders, best position, those with whom they work to be their best. That's the role of a leader. They inspire people. Inspire them, encourage them, best position them to be their best. 
They give them the tools that they need to succeed and then get out of their way. Amy, I love having you here. It is such a treat for me to join you. Um, that was an amazing, phenomenal question and one I'm going to think about a lot. It is such an honor. I Look, you know me well enough to know that I only say what I mean and I always mean what I say. So when I say that it is an honor and a pleasure to join you, um, please know how sincere that is. Well, I sincerely say the honor is all mine. I love having you. Okay, here. now we can argue about that. Now you know. Now you we could do the uh uh afraid not afraid. So we could do that if we wanted, but um, but we have I'll to do it over that. ice cream. Deal, deal, deal. My treat. All right, that sounds good. Yeah, you still owe me an ice cream from the last one too. So I know. Are you going to be? Are you going to be at Super Bowl? Uh, unfortunately, I will not. Oh, okay. Because otherwise, it was going to be ice cream on me. But I will tell you this: if and when we are in the same spot at the same time. I'm handling the ice cream. All right. That sounds great. I'll bring the sprinkles. Deal. Thanks, Thanks Amy. Ken. I really appreciate really you. Jinx. There you go. We just <laughs> said the same thing at the same time. Thank you for having me. I hope that you enjoyed our episode with Amy Trask, but we're not done. For the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week, we discussed the career of Raiders' current president, Sandra Douglas Morgan. Sandra graduated with a political science degree from the University of Nevada. She also holds a Juris Doctor from the William S. Boyd School of Law at the University of Nevada. Prior to joining the Raiders, Sandra was the chairwoman of the Nevada Gaming Control Board. She also served as commissioner of the Nevada State Athletic Commission and was the first black city attorney in the state of Nevada. She also spent time as a litigation attorney for the Mirage Casino Resort and was on the state of Nevada's COVID-19 task force, served on the board of Caesars Entertainment, the Board of Fidelity Investments, and the Board of Allegiant Airlines. She was hired by Raiders owner Mark Davis in July of 2022 to become the president of the organization. She is also the vice chair of Las Vegas's host committee for the Super Bowl in February. A highly accomplished person. That's all that we have for this episode. Stay tuned to our social media channels to stay up to date on our episodes. You can find the links at the Football Learning Academy website at www.football-learning-academy.com. Not only will you find links to our social media channels and a listing of all of our podcast episodes, but you'll find other fascinating interviews and classes. And an important note, a portion of all proceeds generated at the Football Learning Academy go to help retired players in need. That website again is www.football-learning-academy.com. If you like what you've heard on this or any of our episodes, give us a five-star rating and review at the podcast platform. It helps us grow our podcast so that we can continue to bring you quality content. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor for our show, email us at admin at football-learning-academy.com to talk about the various options available to you. Thank you for listening to the official Football Learning Academy podcast. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, 
here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.